Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. All right, so here we are. Uh, let's see, what did I drunkenly write down? Oh, yes. Uh, completionism anxiety. I didn't watch movies, we know we're going to suck. And yes, just like it says in the long description, I did come up with this panel idea while buying my ticket to Indiana Jones 5. Whose fault is that? Well, that's the thing. So anyway, I'm Joe Palmer. I work on the schedule and help invite people in here. David? Um, David Brett. Hi. I, I've been around for a while. <laughs> for a while. I'm, the last, I'm the last ambulatory killer bee for a while. <laughs> wow. That happened over the last couple of years. Um, but uh, we can talk about that. I have um, several sessions think... over the next spring tomorrow. And um, two, three days ago, um, my wife Cheryl, also a science fiction author, and I had the pleasure of going up to our, our alma mater, Caltech, in Pasadena and seeing um, the world debut of my play. Alright, we'll follow that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Wolf Forest, I'm the intestinal parasite you can't get rid of. (laughs) 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 Cool. Alright. Let's say more. (laughs) How many test cons have you been to Wolf? Since number six? Skipping a few. Uh-huh. That's why I say I'm the intestinal parasite. You can't get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, right, and here we are. Another Marvel movie just came out. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> Everyone's beating every franchise to death. What? Why are we? Why are we watching the movie? <laughs> because it beats the alternative. <laughs> well, for one thing, it's the and that is that all throughout human history, royal and noble families have sent their dumbest sons off to where they could do the least harm to the And now that's how they was the priesthood. It was the priesthood, yes, it was the priesthood. The, um, so it's, it's incredible last 100 years, since the 1920s, the number of movie producers who um, were taking, they said, here, take some money, go to Hollywood, mess around with starlets, play big shot, stay away from the family business. And um, I'm afraid that that's 
more serious theory than it sounds. It's, it's meant to sound amusing, but it's also like an unreason why imaginative things, things um, rarely happen. Like the same darn dystopia things repeat over and over and over again. Now some of the series are, 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 are pretty good. Some of them were once original. <laughs> I mean, the original Raiders of the Lost Ark was pretty original stuff. Yeah. Um, so, what do you guys have to say? Well, I don't know. Have you ever seen a film across the history of the Secret of the Incas? Well, I've also seen. 1954, he wears a fedora and a bomber jacket. He's searching for a lost Incan treasure in South America. I don't know. <laughs> Is there anything new under the sun? No, it's the theological aspects that I found yeah. interesting. Yeah, right. The Lost Ark. The, um, and, and by the way, the Lost Ark could be the Holy Grail with, with both hands tied. Talk about, you know, old, you know, uh, Shall we say power versus <laughs> Like anytime you have a face melt in sequence in the film, you can't you can't say anything bad about it. Yes. And then you know, I mean why right, because I know if I didn't see Indy Five in the theater. Because I'd seen the other four in the theater. Two were good, two of them sucked. Five's actually but I know if I hadn't seen that, it would have given me a rap. So I, I, I have to see the Indiana Jones movie well, in that, the theater. Isn't that the completion part? Of the yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what gives us this itch that we have to keep going? Yeah, and it's the same thing with books. If you get a series, bad right? pizza, do you throw I mean, out the last piece? I mean, yeah. you'll eat it eventually. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, so many book series, they run out of steam. Well, and it, yet we're still buying it. Completionism is related to some other fetishes, like um, connectionism. R2-D2 has to be in every freaking Star Wars thing. And um, the, the Darth Vader never remembers that he made C-3PO. <laughs> they, of course, get their memories wiped all the time. It, it's, it's all to explain... Um, this infantile thing that uh, I think is the worst aspect of Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds. You had to just bring in all the old characters, even though their ages really don't work. Um, so uh, that's connectionism, which is similar. Huh? Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's also the fact that the, um, the director and the screenwriter don't have in their ability to take only a couple of the old characters and then make you fall in love with a whole bunch of original new ones. And there are some in Strange New Worlds. Um, but um, the, 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 the problem with... There are all sorts of systematic problems in Hollywood. Um, that's why I... I most recent nonfiction book is called Science Fiction. Vivid uh, Tomorrow is Science Fiction in Hollywood. Its principal point is aside from this, and that is because it has a lot of essays about various aspects. Um, its principal point.
point is that we're probably alive today because of Hollywood science fiction. The dire warnings that became what I call self-preventing prophecies. Um, the best examples being that uh, many serving military officers at the time they saw Dr. Strangelove on the beach fail safe testament the day after war games. Um, uh, they all said, oh, that could never happen. And then when they retired, they said, oh, it's scared the living crap out of us. We changed our procedures. Uh, well, <laughs> given how close we've come over the last 70 years, I have to say that we're alive because of <laughs> Hollywood science fiction. Uh, the same is true of uh, my friend Harry Harrison's recruited tens of millions of environmentalists if we skate, if we manage to squeeze past this crisis, it will be because of those people. Um, the China Syndrome, uh, virus movies. Speak up when you want to interrupt me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I've been enough conventions. You talk forever. <laughs> I, I can, I'll fill in any silence. Yeah. <laughs> but I also really like talkative people with ideas. Yeah. Yeah. When they're talking about the Osiris Rex and the space debris being brought back and opened up. First thing that came to my mind yeah, was Andromeda Strain. Yeah. Oh, well, ignoring the fact that dust particles on your roof of your house, about 1% of the dust particles, if you haven't had a fire or something recently, 1% of the dust particles on your roof of your house are mi micrometeoroids. <laughs> so, but I, they, they did put in a, a lot of safety precautions, right? I mean, uh, all that stuff that Osiris Rex picked up and got sealed up really, really good. And then sealed, and then sealed. Yeah. Oh, remember the uh, biological isolation garments, the Apollo astronauts wore? Yes. The moon was considered, for all intents and purposes, dead biologically, but why take a chance? Yeah, why take a chance? We don't know what gets going <laughs> it's, 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 it's a little bit of drama. Yeah. And now that we've got water, maybe we were prescient in, in Taking all those precautions because yeah. who knows what can survive. Exactly. You know, the original the thing. They talked about how we needed to process this thing right away. Well we had a, we know we might be unleashing organisms that could be dangerous to us. Or we don't know what effect our atmosphere will have on those yeah. creatures' remains. So it, yeah. it goes back a long way. <coughs> oh yeah. I mean you know, the creature from the black hole like, No, we have to get it. We have to get it. It's like yeah. uh, you know it it just Killed a few people. Maybe we should back off. No, <laughs> this is the fight of the century. People will pay money to see it. Why? Yeah. Uh, money trumps everything. I'm gonna throw another concept out here. That we know. Hate watching. Right? All movies yeah. love stories. We've all done, heard that thing where people watch something just to hate. Right? Star Wars fans are probably the, the cluster that are most hideously encouraged by it. I believe they have a panel of my Star Wars fans are so classic on Sunday. <laughs> Just saying. And, and, all right, who here's hate watch stuff? All right. Okay, and the rest of you are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, I, it's not so much hate watch, it's the fact that I watched all the movies. Um, look, I came at my 
attitude towards Star Wars, honestly, I left the theater of The Empire Strikes Back convinced that human civilization had one of the greatest epic storytellers mm -hmm. ever. And I watched the and I watched the Young Indiana Jones series, and I said, this guy really loves our civilization. Any of you ever seen them? The young Indiana Jones. Yeah, really he was just they were just love odes to Western civilization. What the heck happened? I asked that once, and somebody shouted from the audience. She left him. Yeah. yeah. I just, you know, it's not just Star Wars. I know what uh, Gotham, right? The, the Batman show that was on Fox. I hate watched basically all of that. <laughs> I went into it with high hopes, and by the by halfway through season one, I was like, "Oh, this is trash." And you kept watching it. And I kept watching it. I don't have time for that. Technically, I don't either. After Return of the Jedi, which I had to fix with twenty alternate lines of dialogue, which is a whole other topic. Is there a movie you could save with twenty alternate lines of dialogue? I'm sure you can all think of them. But um, after that, I watched the prequels and then the sequels. And I am fortunate because I'm a child of the 60s. I can enter a flashback stone state. <laughs> so and I just entered um, uh, the, the um, Revenge of the Sith and all those others. And I simply went, OK. <laughs> and I was and I was stoned, and come on, you can watch any of them stoned. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just your value judgments yeah. and your, everything are gone, and but your appreciation of the one thing George Lucas is good at. Sure, fly a little ship inside a big ship and blow it up from the inside and get away really faster than the blast wave five <laughs> times. <laughs> uh, or sometimes it pays off, too, now thinking of uh, Bates Motel. The first season of Bates Motel is a mess because everybody was making a different TV show. In the off-season, before season two, they said, Vera Farmiga, who plays the mother, is making the show we should be making. And after that, the show's fantastic. So sometimes there's actually a payoff, but yeah. I highly recommend Base Motel, but under, you're going to suffer through season one. Season one is suffering. You have to watch season one to watch season what? two? Well, yes. you gotta go. There's what's called movie recaps, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The concept, the concept was offensive at first, and then I realized it's on our queue now, these movie recaps. Oh, yeah. Because A, there can be a quick toe dip into something you loved. Or B, it can be a way to, in a 10 minute recap, you can get two minutes in and say, oh, that sounds pretty good, and stop at the two minutes and then rent the movie. You haven't really ruined it for yourself. <laughs> and number three is, oh, God, I'm so curious about this piece of crap. <laughs> That's why I prefer anthology shows. Yeah. Self-contained, you don't have time to start asking questions like, what the hell happened in this part? The love yeah. Death, oh, and, I don't know. Death and Robots guy is interested. Yeah, in I mean, American stories. Horror Story. Mary, I was just gonna I say because there's one that's kind of borderline hate watch for me right. because that show is so wild. Like every season, 
they're just throwing shit against the wall, and who knows? I mean, what is it? Uh, sanitarium, right? Mm-hmm. There's a brief half of one scene where it's aliens, but that never gets revisited. And then there's the ghosts, and no, never mind. And that's why, actually, uh, American Horror Story in New York, which is about the AIDS epidemic when it first hit New York City, is actually really, really good. But I didn't really like it because I was tuning in for American Horror Story, and when I'm, I'm looking for a plot that's a mess. I want a plot done by three drunk monkeys when I watch American <laughs> Horror Story. And the New York season actually is well plotted and makes sense. <laughs> so it's really good, but don't watch it if you're in Asia. Yeah, that bad. <laughs> no. Well, the. Um, one of the points I make in Dinner Tomorrow's is that, um, well, for one thing, back in the 1980s into the 90s, there was a curse. And it was called Third Burnley Syndrome. <laughs> and that was that there was at least five major science fiction franchises in which the first movie was, the second movie was like God's gift to human civilization. It was utterly fantastic. And then the third movie utterly betrayed everything about the, the whole moral, the morality, and everything that was decent about the second. Who can name examples? <laughs> like one of the greatest movies ever made. Nicholas Myers, the man who saved Star Trek. What did he do? The Wrath of Khan, one of the best movies ever made. And I mean movies, not science fiction. Um, I, I, I met him, was able to tell him, you know, and he did, he did four, which was not a great movie, but certainly rescued the franchise from the horrible number three. What was number three? I number three was Search for Spy. And one of the wonderful scenes in Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan, was when Kirk's ex-wife takes him into the chamber where she had done the Genesis. She said, I made this in the Matrix in a day. Can I cook? Or can't I? <laughs> and it was the most Faustian moment in yes. human literature. <laughs> it was just basically saying, hey, we made ourselves better. We get to be in the work room. Of creation, we did yeah. And it gets slapped in the face because you instantly knew with that scene one of Kurt's complaints and Monday broke up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she's like, Can I cook? Uh huh. Yeah, no more complaining about my cooking. Yeah. <laughs> but the um, Star, Trek, Star Trek 3 reflexively returns to one of the cliches of Hollywood, and that is the Frankenstein. Thou shalt never stick thy hand into God's work, or it will turn into a monster, it will kill its creator, and therefore they killed and robbed of one of the great mythic heroes of all of our lives, the solace of having a son. Of simply having a son, which we got in Star Trek II. But it's, it, it can be worse. It can be worse. Did anybody really like aliens? Sure. 
the gothic horror story about rape. How about aliens? An action-adventure story about motherhood. There's never been a better movie about motherhood. Get away from her, you bitch! <laughs> and I will even say its name. The horrible thing that they inflicted, betraying absolutely every possible bargain they had made with the audience in, in Aliens. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I don't even want to talk about that. Not for Absolute horrible betrayal of the first five minutes. So there's an example of completism. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, because I keep watching Alien movies. So. Yeah, well, that, that third one was one of the most evil films yeah. ever. Yeah. Like, it was just plain evil. Of course, you know, the, the most evil film I ever saw was something called Wizards by Ralph Nakshi. <laughs> <laughs> it was just evil in every single scene, obviously deliberate evil. Just, just, just like you know, that he dared to make Nazi propaganda the other side's thing. You have these, these pretty pixie oppressors who have crammed the generations and generations of these, these so-called mutants into a lightless valley for thousands of years, and then you see rolling open countryside everywhere that they could have shared, and you blame the mutants for trying to get out? <laughs> Two brothers, one of them is, is a lazy lech who lets his talents go to waste, and the, uh, and the other is um, a family man, who's helping the oppressed, and we're supposed to hate him. There's something wrong with How do you really feel? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be able to watch it the same. <laughs> isn't, isn't part of it that, that Hollywood knows that they've got these huge canonical shows, you know, they've got Star Wars, they've got Star Trek, and a certain amount of people are, you know, you know, give me my dope, oh, yes. <laughs> give me my yes. drug, I'll, I'll watch it well, no matter a, how bad it is. There's that whole <laughs> sequel thing, right? And it, it goes back a ways, but you know, it's more recently that Hollywood just turned into the sequel factory. It was like, well, we we'll just keep juicing the orange, juicing the orange. Yeah, I mean, one of these, all right, let's see what day is it. I always think, well, not always, when I, once I rewatched it, Joe Dante deserves an award for the way he deliberately poisoned the Gremlins franchise. <laughs> the Gremlins 2 is a great movie, but if you go to see Gremlins 2 expecting more Gremlins, you're going to hate it, because that's not what Gremlins 2 is. Gremlins 2 is a spoof of two things. One, the first movie, and two, sequels. <laughs> Gremlins 2 mocks sequels mercilessly and it is absolutely hilarious and it's a great antidote after you come home from watching the latest Marvel movie that you're like why did I do that watch Gremlins 2 because everything you're thinking why did I do that Joe Dante you know it's dumb and to the fact that you did that in 1990 when Hollywood really hadn't gotten such bad sequelitis yet yeah, I mean, because there were a couple times there was Star Wars and Star Trek but even then I guess Star Wars had stopped at 3 and Trek was I think five. I think five just come out. Well, now I'm wondering if the best movies are the ones that cannot possibly be 
be procreating sequels because they're so unique and original. Unfortunately, that falls apart because it's got Plan 9 from Outer Space, which is never had a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for a sequel to Eraserhead. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> well, you know, the point is it's really hard to kill off the character and prevent a sequel because there's so many methods of resurrection. Yeah. So many ways to bring them back. <laughs> the uh, I mean, Spider-Man was was killed off along with half of humanity in the uh, yeah uh, half of everything half of everything. Well, the original Frankenstein died. Yeah. They brought him back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, although I got to give him credit, I love when early in Son of Frankenstein, the third movie, when they're on the train going there, they actually throw shade at the audience. Blew me away because they're in there, and some one of them says, Half the people think the name of the monster is Frankenstein. I'm like, Oh yeah. my god, you just appreciated the audience. I love you oh, right? because we know most people do think, you know, not in this room, of course, and what are the, but outside of this room, everybody thinks the name of the monster is Frankenstein. And what do the townspeople say when Wolf von Frankenstein gets off the train with his wife and, and young son? He says, Aaron Frankenstein, we come to meet you, not to greet you. <laughs> and they're already aware yeah. of the legacy yeah, and their reputation. It's like we don't make we don't make a distinction between you and the thing you created. You're, I, you're all part of the same. I have, I have come to bury Caesar. <laughs> uh, any questions so far? Uh, if we got a franchise, you want to any embarrassing contributions you want to make about your own? And therefore, you guys are um, all existential uh, franchise. How about oh, the Friday the Thirteenth? Oh, oh yeah, the horror franchises. I mean, that's really that's a whole other thing. Well, no, but how in the world? How many ways can Jamie Lee Curtis kill her brother? <laughs> well, he's not always her brother. Uh, <laughs> look, I, I started out um, my whole <laughs> novel. Sundiver that um, I, I, I tell my students when I teach writing, uh, try to start with a murder mystery, no matter what genre you're going to be in. If it's science fiction or romance or whatever, because a murder mystery will teach you discipline in the plot. You know, in, in any other genre, you know, if you get to a point where you realize you haven't plotted well, you can always, in a romance, add more. You, in a fantasy, you can have a few more dragons. You know, in sci-fi, you can blow up something else. Uh, but, but in a murder mystery, when you get to who done it, uh, there are only three possible reactions. There's, huh? <laughs> you, you wasn't adequately foreshadowed. There's. Uh, of course, it it wasn't properly disguised. <coughs> and the third possibility, and it's the one that proves that we're in a sadomasochistic relationship. <laughs> Arthur's job is to make you hate yourself. The third response is, ah, of course, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> If I just paid a little more attention, you didn't want that. No, you wanted that reaction. You wanted to tear the book in half, throw it out the window, and dive after it. <laughs> so um, the point is that a murder mystery is. Why did we get off on that? The, my uh, Sundiver, the uh, oh yeah, 
Sundiver, the murder victim, is dumped into the sun, which makes CSI really hard. So anyway, there's a new edition coming out. But I don't know if we answered your question. Well, oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> One of the interesting things that happens now with the horror franchises, right, is they almost now always come with, with like, crib sheets, right? You know, like, the latest Halloween trilogy are sequels to the first movie, but nothing in between. And, you know, and all of them are doing that. Like, oh, let's make a sequel to, you know, the fourth movie. And we're going to everything else. Yeah. And I mean, Friday the 13th is interesting because that was the first one, I think, to really get self-mocking. Like, Jason 10 is actually one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. of all of those movies. And it's kind of like Grandma's too. Jason 10 flat out mocks the entire series. You know, I mean, I love that they put him in the hologram. It's like, oh, we'll put him in a hologram of Crystal Lake and give him holographic teenagers to beat to death, and that will keep him under control. It's but, okay, guys. He just wanted his machete. Yeah. Uh, actually, Voyager, Star Trek Voyager, had uh, that was the uh, plot element in one of the episodes. Yeah. And then the next season, they came back and. It didn't make sense how they met, but the holograms came back and said, "How come you? How come you treated us this way? Just because we're um, atomically disadvantaged?" <laughs> <laughs> so you know, this whole the whole expansion of tolerance is something that's been pushed by Star Trek, and ninety-eight percent to the better, and two percent to the oh. <laughs> so. You had something, sir. Um, yes, I just wanted to say a point to something you mentioned earlier, which is how you like um, you know, short pieces and serials so much. One of the things I enjoyed streaming recently was Love, War, and Robots, which I don't know if anyone's seen as an animated thing, and it's everything under the sun and every type of film media under the sun. It's Love, Death, and Robots. Or Love, Death, and Robots. The leader of that. Which I think is one of the best in years. Uh, certainly one of the most diverse and interesting and artistically beautiful. Um, he's poking away at a couple of my short stories. So we'll see. But uh, please continue your thoughts. I, I was just, my thought was simply that, that that really, you don't have time to find, you know, fault or whatever. You have these short stories. It's, it's like reading a great short story. Uh, Compilation, you know, it's like going back and reading uh, a Terry Carr compilation or something, because you've got all these different things coming together, and they're just complete and it's satisfying in one. You know. one, one of the nice things about Love, Death, and Robots is that, uh, just like Rod Serling, he's not afraid of occasionally giving you a happy or hopeful ending. Yeah. Whereas Charlie Rupert is, is a genius uh, with Black Mirror. But it just gets tiresome knowing in advance that it's always going to be an anti-technological, anti-hope downer. Uh, I think he's brilliant. I think it's, sometimes he makes very interesting statements. But it's important to make know the distinction between the storytelling arc of a short story versus a novella versus a novel. Uh, and that is that a novel has to be like a fully satisfying movie and 
that is it has to have a third act that brings you to a satisfying conclusion. Even if both the movie and the novel are setups for, sequel, for sequels, nevertheless, a satisfying resolution, you're able to put the book down and know what happened. Um, the short story is like a Twilight Zone episode. And that is, the objective is a feeling, a sense of, gosh, I wonder what would have happened next. So that you fantasize in the shower or even unable to sleep about what might have happened. It doesn't have a third act. And so my, uh, my short story, Dr. Pax Preschool, for example, where the, a husband insists that a teaching unit be installed in his wife's you know, abdomen during the pregnancy so that the child can have early, 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 early education. <laughs> and she has a womb with a view. There's just a, a sort of a creepy, um, somewhat elevating moment. Let's just say that they use the fetuses for computational purposes and they give it transportation problems and he escapes. <laughs> um, but in order to make it useful for a movie, I had to weave in um, foreshadowings and create a third act that had a satisfying arc. So she's one of the most unusual chase scenes you've ever seen. It would be a brightly lit hospital uh, and uh, she's in labor and she's waddling past dozens of people who would be happy to help her. And she's desperately seeking a broom, cl broom closet to give birth in. Whoa. Yeah, so that, that would be, that would be a, uh, bringing it to ground. Whereas a novella and Paul Anderson, the greatest storyteller I ever, Paul Anderson's um, Hugo's and Nebulous were all in the novella category or novelette category. And that is the length that a tribal storyteller would have told around the campfire. So it can be either way, either a hanging note in the air or a completed story, but it takes about 40 minutes, you see, to either read or recite. And that's the natural storytelling <laughs> That's why um, all of my most mythic stories um, were novellas. I did the novella, novella novel that Paul Anderson kept doing, and, and you might have heard of one called The Postman. It's interesting about Black Mirror, because that's... <coughs> I mean, it's run the franchise I sequel problem, right? I mean, new, new right? I mean, was it season five that dropped earlier this year? And pretty much everybody hated it right from the start. There was like, oh, there's two good episodes, but we all watched it. <laughs> I, I, I didn't. Oh. I, I take it back. That became my show that I hated to watch because there was enough interest in it to keep me. But what David said was so true. It just, you know, it's going to be a down yeah. at the end versus, yeah. you know, the robot shorts. Um, just completely captivated the creativity of some of those short episodes and not knowing how long they're going to be and how, you know, what's going to go on. 
Uh, and not knowing whether or not yeah. they're going to have yeah. a, a happier. Is there and, and is there a conclusion that you can wrap your head around? And like you said, yeah, I watched some of those, and then I would be, what the hell is going to happen next? I want more because I want to know. Um, you know, does something happen? So. Yeah, that's kind of what I was because I started to hate Love Death Robots because it's like, man, this was amazing. Do we get any more? No. What? <laughs> Anybody on this side of the room? I liked uh, Justified, the series of that. Oh, yeah. Elmore Leonard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing was, the stories were sort of a repeat season to season, but the characters made it all. Yeah. Did you like the ballad of Buster Scruggs? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, it was very good. Of course, this was one of those cases where the unhappy ending one was really too heartbreaking. <laughs> I, I really, really was heartbroken. Yeah. And and that's that's good art. That's good art. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the one I keep thinking about is the is the, the gold prospector. Oh. Really a beautiful, a beautiful uh, uh, anthology. Yeah, Elmore Leonard was a master of characters. Yeah, and dialogue. Anybody else? Yes, in the back. He was a friend. Um, you often read about the stuff Hollywood and what they're putting out um, that they that, that they. Um, they want to make money, and so they want to put out things that are, quote, safe, that made money before. Therefore, what's being put out is not original at all. Do you think that's true, or not generally? Uh, I think the answer to that is, duh. Well, no, I don't see. I, I actually get really irritated at the grumpy old men. You know, the Scorsese Coppola, everybody, you know, the old park crowd, they're like, you can't do anything new and original anymore. So, wait, have you guys watched a Wes Anderson movie? Because he still gets to keep making movies all the time, and they're all really freaking good, and they're all kind of weird, and they're all really, really original. And, oh, Francis Ford Coppola, your son wrote a freaking script for Wes Anderson's most recent movie. So, maybe if you're having trouble getting movies made, Francis, Asteroid City. Asteroid City. We just yeah. saw that. We just saw that. Very weird. Oh, very, very weird. And Jeff yeah. Goldblum is an alien. That's yeah. So I mean, the stuff is still out there now. It is difficult now because the main Hollywood machine just—they just are all about the franchise blockbuster, the franchise blockbuster. Right. But, but then you got to look in the cracks. Like yeah. Asteroid, Asteroid City. Is, is, isn't that giving openings? Yeah, yeah. So we're just giving openings. I mean, Wes Anderson's working uh, on doing Netflix. He's doing shorts and, and yeah, short. Not quite shorts. Usually about an hour stuff on Netflix every once in a while. And of course, you know, I mean, we just had Oppenheimer made. Not, not correct. Mm-hmm. What about Queen's Gambit on, on Netflix? Yeah. Oh, that, oh my so God. Different. That is a good show. That yeah. Was, that was sophisticated storytelling, mm-hmm. and honestly, where was it? Who's a chess fan? Yeah. <laughs> well, who let's... would think? Well, no, I play chess. I'm a speed. I play speed chess. But you know what? It's not a spectator sport. How many people actually understand it? But they make chess seem vital. It reminded me of a story of something that came in the 2000s. There was a, there was a 
there was a movie about ballet called The Center Stage. Mm-hmm. Right? And it made something that was way sorted out of the mainstream, but it grasped an audience. Well, let's 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 do be fair. There, there were reasons why people would give a script of the Queen's Gambit a look because the book was written by Walter Tennis. Okay, yeah. And he did The Man Who Fell to Earth. And what else? Um, there's another really big one. Actually, I wasn't aware of the background. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, Walter Tavis <laughs> died way too young, but uh, along the way, he was considered a William Goldman. I, see, I, yeah. didn't, right. I didn't know the background, I guess. Yeah. Right. See, a lot of... See, I highly recommend... Oh, yeah. Oh, crap, you wrote The Hustler. As a matter Ooh. of fact, there's only, <laughs> one, there's only one work that's better than the movie The Princess Bride. You know what it is? It's... It's the book, The Princess. (laughs) 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 And it's a lot better. And I can say that without insulting the director or screenwriter of The Princess Bride because he was also the author of the book. Right, I I, I, I know that history. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, a lot of what happens where where we get the interesting original stuff that does still happen, you know, you just can't. It's just like you got to look under the surface, right? Because they're not doing... $100 Hundred million dollar commercial campaigns for Asteroid City. Yeah, they got to know it's coming or no. As a lot of the people have the hooks. I mean, like Wes Anderson, he's really, really smart as a director, and he understands the Hollywood system. So he knows his movies are going to make about thirty million bucks. So he can come to Hollywood and say, "Give me five million dollars, whole bunch of the movie, including my director's fee. I will give you this movie." Okay, and you're not going to make a lot of money on it, but you're going to make profit on it. And he goes, and that's where I think like Francis Ford Coppola runs into the problem, and, and even Scorsese, right? Neither of them knows how to even make a movie close to two hundred million dollars anymore. Yeah. And they're not going to turn profit. I mean, I love Flowers of the Tone Moon. Great, great movie. Scorsese's still an amazing director. The terrifyingly, unfortunately, real story. Do you ever have time to eat? <laughs> well, that was dinner movie. Oh, he, eats, he eats in front of the TV. Yeah. Okay. Well, in this case, I go to the, the, the dinner movie theater, so I eat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, I mean, box office wise, it would nothing. In my novel, Earth, the, uh, there's a major character who's lived, who makes her living condensing famous movies. Maybe adding a scene because if a customer wants an added scene or wants those 20, uh, 20 lines of ch- altered dialogue, she'll she'll change the movie. Uh, and this is coming. This is this is going to be. So it's a real business coming soon. But uh, you know, I I don't think any human could keep up with you. Uh, he must he must have a mate. He must be the test audience for this condensation service because how could you how could you watch all these movies? Uh, you see, he has a special headset that yeah, has so. two monitors in front of him, so it's less well, sides listening to one. Joe Joe is a cyborg crash test. There are definitely. Definitely people who can quasi watch a movie while getting plenty done. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and I am one of those. Oh, at home, I'm, I mostly read and watch movies at yeah, the theater. Well, this is the theater. So I watched Killer Moon. Great watch. Oh, <laughs> cool. I, I, I kind of want to pick up on your point when you were talking about the, 
thirty million dollar movie. Yeah. Because I think that movie's coming back. And the reason why I think that movie is going to start coming back now is because the cost of capital is now five percent, as opposed to when they were chasing blockbusters. The cost of capital was point five percent. Yeah. So, so the they, they have to bring it back, or Hollywood is literally going to right. bankrupt. Because they're releasing too many blockbusters. None of them are busting the block anymore. Well, the good and what, what, so, what happened to the what happened to the streaming wars? They got killed. Yeah. Well, I don't even think it was the streaming. I mean, there's just so many good people for it. Right. Uh, so blockbusters, a term, came about because people literally lined up around the block to watch a movie. And in those days, you got one every couple of years. Right? There was the Godfather, and then there wasn't really another blockbuster until Jaws. Then it sped up a little with Star Wars. Now they're hoping these are blockbusters, but you know, Marvel's releasing four movies a year. You don't get four blockbusters a year. No. Just doesn't happen. Meanwhile, DC's also releasing four movies a year. And now you got a Star Wars movie all the time. There's no audience to keep ten. $200 million budget movies profitable. The other, thing, the other thing is, it used to be if you wanted to see uh, a movie again, you went back to the theater. Yeah. Now yeah. you just wait a month or two when it's available on your streaming service. Yeah. So you're not so, driving up the tickets. So Hollywood's going I mean, to have to get back to the small budget If my mother delivered us to a movie theater um, yeah, 10 minutes late, we just took up where it was and assumed we would never see those 10 minutes. What we normally would do is we, whenever her convenience was to drop us off, we entered the theater, interpolated, and maybe this was how I got some of my uh, plot crafting ability because, because I just worked out the plot of the first half of the movie. We stayed through the second feature and the cartoons, mm -hmm. I'm embarrassed to say, even at the beginning, some newsreels. Uh, uh, and until the movie started again, and we would nudge each other. This is where, do you remember this? Oh, yeah. this, is, this is where we came in. Right, right. But the, uh, no, the whole notion of the low budget is terribly important. And I was predicting now that uh, ind independent filmmakers would have a lot more power. Well, obviously they are going to. The whole AI thing is going to try and finally bring about what I predicted would happen 10 years ago, and that is you would have small communities of very skilled people, a skilled photographer, a skilled musician, a good musician and sound mixer, um, voice voice actors for stick figures even. I mean, people, if it's dramatically done and the voices are well done and the rhythms are good and the, and the and dialogue is especially good, people would weep over stick figures because you get caught up in the story. Uh, all of that revolving around the writer who knows what to write and what words to put in the mouth. Well, that hasn't happened yet, but I mean, this this can happen. Oh, there's the other source, right? The, know your local art house, right? If you're a two seller and you want to watch those kind of movies that aren't Marvel blockbusters, follow the law on whatever social media you do and go there often. And and <laughs> often, but what what's but what he's go watch a movie you've never seen heard of. Make 
Yeah. And making them, uh, my agent is really only interested in my tentpoles, the uplift universe. Mm -hmm. uh, Warner Brothers paid a lot of money to have the rights to do a remake TV series of The Postman. They still haven't told me anything. <laughs> uh, and, and the odds are against it. Uh, kill, killing people. Um, and all the other, all the smaller things that I think would give make me a name in that town. I have bunches that could be made for five. <coughs> five, six, seven, maybe two, three. I have one set under the Oceans of Venus. I actually have a script for that. Now, Oceans of Venus. <laughs> I'm revealing a trauma because in 1962, NASA killed, yes. ripped the heart out of most of the boys in America. All those fun stories from like the by, by Mariner 2 proving that Venus, the clouds of Venus, didn't conceal dinosaurs <laughs> and especially the princesses. Did you ever have that golden stamp book that had, you know, planetary probes and stuff? And there was one called Game Hunt on Venus. No. Oh. It had the guys with these bazooka like things with this. Incredible looking dinosaur. Oh my god, this is. I'll, I, have, I'll I, have to bring it in and show it. And so I still it, have that golden standard book. It's like, it yeah, you're right. I, it destroyed my childhood. Too. Just, it's like, no. but, but in any event, I have a script that's <laughs> a love story, love story, adventure story set under the oceans of Venus a thousand years from now. You send out robots that, that impact that lifeless world with, with a million comets, you're going to get oceans. Yeah. All right, so you have 10 minutes left. Anybody have a franchise? I got to go and or? set up a presentation. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, well, give us a last remark before you. Well, I don't know. It's like uh, I, I would be too embarrassed to talk to talk to you about all the horrible movies I sat through because I thought it's going to get better. Yeah. You are Without you, Wolf, we never would have sent oh, see okay. Return of the Bee Girls. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mentioning you tomorrow night in the morning. Surveillance and science fiction. Oh, when, when is that? Nine o'clock in this room. Nine o'clock tomorrow night. night. And you can correct me and tell me why I screwed up. I'm doing a PowerPoint as well. All right. Kate watched a sequel because I saw the preview for the original movie, Iron Skies. The preview was just so good. The movie was Stephen Powell. Well, oh, I it's, I no, it's, a movie, it's a paper bag movie. Yeah. <laughs> you ha cannot watch Iron Sky without a paper bag over your head. <laughs> yes, 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 because that way you have deniability that you were the one in the room. I would argue and farting while you're laughing. <laughs> yeah. I would argue that a plastic bag over your head just pretend you're stoned. I mean, that, that movie is just mystery science. It is stupid. It is stupid as a post. No, but it's Iron so Sky 2. Iron Sky I'm two. sitting there and I'm looking at the thumbnail for it, and it says Hitler, 
reptilian Hitler, on a T-Rex. I'm going on a T-Rex. I have not yet seen it. I have not yet oh, seen that. It is very critical of itself. It oh, yeah. makes no sense. Well, similarly, it's just, uh, it went off the farm. I mean, Iron Sky went off the rails, and then Iron Sky 2 oh, actually self-spoofs itself. So. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a wonderful movie. I love it. And I wish I the game was the original one, like the trailer. <laughs> As a guy who's been spending part of his time for the last 12 years advising NASA's Himalayan and Advanced Concepts program, I know a fair amount about lunar technologies and the scam called Artemis. Um, and so I really had a giggle when I saw the Iron Sky colony and its silo in Gothic letters, Helium 3. <laughs> Which, by the way, is the theme of an extremely good movie called Moon. Yes. Even though it's based on the premise of Helium 3, which I'm hardly dubious about, it's a really good movie. But um, in any event, you know, this is uh, like a script, the big uh, there spacecraft set. There are plenty of paperback over your head movies um, <laughs> out, out there. But some of them, the ones that are deliberate, are sometimes real funny. And some that were once paperback movies are now great classics like Dark Star. Yeah. Oh, love yeah. that. Yeah. Well, so Arizona. How far away is it from here? What? Benson, Arizona, the same stars out of your sky. But they all seem so much friendlier when we watch them. You and I. I told you I'd say. You guys are great. And we'll be seeing you across the weekend. See you tomorrow. And all of you being here again, everything is so sick. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the 5th Edition and Ragnarok and roll a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two. Is there anybody here who doesn't know this is David Brent? Uh, <laughs> All right, there we go. <laughs> Where am I? Where am I? I don't know if it's true. I read his bio. He's powerful. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Joe. Good to see you again. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't a film out there for the same time. I always remember seeing the universe song. Yes. <laughs> the sun is you and me and all the stuff stars that you can see are moving at 900 miles <laughs> in a circular path around the galaxy called the Milky Way. <laughs> Eric, Eric, I Traditions is 
that you want a good villain, you give him a speech. If you want a good hero, the, the hero says, oh yeah? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the archetype being Die Hard, of course. Yeah. Joe, are you going to give a speech then? <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like him. <laughs>